0: Welcome back to the podcast. This is, uh, I believe, episode one of a mini series that I'm going to be doing this month on men's mental health. Um, It's National Men's Mental Health Awareness Month. Not quite sure what's going on federally for that, but really excited to be able to bring some more um, male identifying folks to the conversation and just meet some more people. Um, Today, I have a friend, Phil, with me who is local to my area. And actually, Phil, I don't know if you know this. You probably do. Do you know how we know each other technically?
1: I want to say we talked about it before, but I totally forget.
0: You're going to die. So my mom was Tova's high school English teacher. Gwen and Tova babysat me and my brother. (sighs) A million years ago, the first, (laughs) the first gay wedding I ever went to was Tova and Gwen's. And I was like sitting in the back at 16. Are you
1: serious?
0: Crying hysterically. No idea why I'm crying at this wedding. I come out a year and a half later as queer. So that's how I know. Oh my gosh.
1: Wow. (laughs) No, we definitely never talked about that. Uh You know, what's crazy. That wedding, one of the most memorable pictures I have. when my sister first came out when she was a teenager my dad was i mean he he kind of was just like a, a religion jumper so he believed in christianity uh, most of my family is muslim from the east coast um very against uh that marriage but my dad just came home one day with these rainbow suspenders in like the most didn't even say a word to my sister but just like started rocking these suspenders anyway my dad actually passed away my senior year i was 17 i think when was maybe 21 or so 22. um so i wore those suspenders i surprised her with them i took off my top at her wedding and i was wearing those suspenders that she hadn't seen in like four or five years when we did our uh you know what would have been like a father-daughter dance Um, and i have that picture it's one of the only pictures i have of me my sister actually
0: Oh, that's so sweet. I don't Yeah. I don't remember that part of the wedding. I just remember how overwhelmed with like love and joy I felt, but mm. not knowing why I felt so overwhelmed. It was a formative wow. part of my queer experience.
1: Wow, that's incredible. Thanks for sharing that. I had no clue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's weird that you were there. That's crazy. Yeah
0: um but anyways tell us tell us a little bit about like who you are a little bit about your background and like why mental health matters so much to you
1: yeah um my name is phil case and i always get a little confused when people ask me who i am i'm like well i'm a dad you know i'm a community advocate um i think i'm just a mixture of all i'm just a human um who wants to love on other humans and i've kind of found my way of doing that um it's mostly through just apparel. So I have a clothing line called Better Mind, Better Body. Um, I started in 2016, focuses on mental health and physical health and the combination of both um, to become better versions of ourself. Um, That stemmed from kind of my experience going through depression after finishing playing college basketball. Um, I quit my third year and moved back home and went into this crazy spiral of like trying to figure out who I was without the thing that made me who I was for most of my life, which was a sport. Everybody just knew me as the basketball guy. So anyway, um, you know, me and one of my friends from Western Washington, um, you know, started kind of getting into working out and built a little community of, of uh, people that were just trying to lift each other up and started hashtagging, you know, better mind, better body. Um, And then at the time I started working for uh, the boys and girls club um, and also with the safe communities task force. I was running a gang intervention program, um, helping youth 13 through 24, just kind of navigate through some of the systematic challenges that we have in Clark County. Um, But I learned kind of through that process, like how important it was to uh, give back um, and how much it meant to the youth that I was working with. And so um, did that for a couple years. and when I quit that job, I just I wasn't able to maintain a financially stable lifestyle working there. So I had quit that job and again, kind of had that loss of identity of like, man, what do I do now? I feel like I went from this huge community advocate to, you know, just um, work in sales. Um so I just incorporated some of the things I was doing with uh, that program into my everyday life and started doing community advocacy and work um just for myself and by myself and invited other people um and that was just kind of my way of being a little bit of a light to people and in improving people's mental health even though I'm not a mental health specialist you know I don't have any school background I don't have any kind of programming um just my own personal desire so
0: yeah, I was going to say, we're all kind of a specialist of our own, like, lived mental health experience, for sure. For sure. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting as a, I didn't play um, college sports, but I was, like, on that track and had a lot of trauma my um, junior and senior year that really kind of pulled me out of that track, but, like, played very competitive softball, four-year varsity, all the, those things, like, traveled yeah. every weekend. I felt so confused about who the fuck I was once I stopped playing. And Mm -hmm. I don't think we prepare our like high level, especially collegiate athlete athletes for what that transition does. When all of a sudden your life is so structured, Mm -hmm. you have all of these expectations and then it's just gone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a culture shock. You know, we went from, excuse me you know 5 a.m workouts a diet plan that's suggested to us kind of being walked through you know college like somebody picked our courses for us kind of hand fed um, two a day workouts to I moved back home and I got a desk job doing sales and was hardly ever physically active Um, I gained like 75 pounds I was close to 300 pounds at the time Um, that's kind of when my life just kind of started sinking a little bit and I recognized like, holy shit, this is happening, you know? Um, and thankfully I, I found some ways to just kind of help pick myself up. I just, I always tell people I started dating myself, everything that we do on a regular basis with people. Like I just started doing solo, going to dinner, having breakfast, going to the movies, going hiking, walking, whatever I could do, just to kind of build up my, my self-esteem. So
0: And you did that while being a dad, right? Because how old is your little?
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's eight years old. Um, He kind of came at the kind of, gosh, man, kind of in the middle of me figuring it all out. And then here's, boom, here's this, this, another surprise, um, because he was not planned. And me and his mom have never really had a a long-term relationship. So it was all very new for both of us um, and had a little man. um, it was the best, you know, surprise that ever, that ever happened to me. So.
0: Yeah. You guys are way cute together. Um, so what did your kind of obviously like dating yourself, all of that is like beautiful, but were there, was there like a therapy experience or like anything like that, that came in with your depression? What what has the conversation for you been like in your life around like normalizing therapy, or asking people if they're okay? Did people ask you if you were okay? Like, what's that mm-hmm. kind of like from your perspective?
1: Um, sheesh. To be transparent with you, I had a short spin with therapy, maybe six months. Um, this was around the time that Kingston was born, my son was born, and um. I didn't have a good experience because I went because somebody asked me to, um, my son's mom at the time, you know, I grew up in a very broken household. Um, all of my brothers had, you know, two, three baby moms and multiple kids with multiple people. And it just, it was like, almost like it was expected of me. And so when I found out that Kingston was going to be born, you know, I really wanted to try to make it work with his mom. And um again this all kind of happened in the middle of my depression and so she had asked me to see somebody um and I agreed so that we could make things work and so I started individual counseling and then also started couples counseling um you know one thing I did not do was I I um at the time I remember kind of being in a struggle with options because of my medical insurance and so I did not do the work to find somebody that fit what I needed I just found somebody that I could go talk to Um, and they weren't a bad therapist. They just, I just didn't connect with them. Um, And so my experience really kind of pushed me into a hole. I didn't know how to get out of because I felt like I was going and I was talking about all these really extreme things. I never talked about before with anybody. And then I was going home with the same feelings. So I'd be in therapy for an hour. Then I'd go home and I'd lay down for the next six days until I went back to therapy. Um I I'm always pushing people to talk about their feelings, whether that's in therapy or just with a friend or whatever wherever they can. Um, but I have not gone back myself personally, you know, and it's something that uh, me and my wife talk about now, like, you know, we should get into that. Let's get ahead of the game now. Um, because I want to normalize it and and start going before things get bad or you know, I have these challenges. So it's definitely something I'm open to now. Um But that's my personal experience with it this far.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's so similar to so many people's stories that I've heard. As a therapist, I tell people I don't do court mandated therapy. Like if Mm. a client is court mandated to do therapy, I'm super happy to send their files to the court and do the, the, the stuff I have to do. But like, if you're coming to me just because the court said you have to, it's not going to work. You have to Mm. want to be here. Like if you want to be here and you have goals that you've set for yourself and you feel like I'm the right clinician for you, let's rock and roll. But like, Mm. if that isn't the case, it's not going to work until we're ready. And we have a provider who like speaks our language, you know, like I'm not going to go see an old white straight man for therapy. I'm going to, I'm not going to get anything done. Right. Right. I'm gonna spend half the time explaining my language to him.
1: Yeah. 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 That's definitely what I felt like when I was going to see somebody. So um, and it's just it was interesting because when I worked for the county, I felt like I had access to so many resources um for the demographic of, of youth that I was working with. And but I never felt like I fit into that category quite. So it was it was hard because I felt like I was constantly telling people or like, you know, helping people navigate how to find therapy options. And here I am struggling like to go home and be like, man, shoot, I can't even find something that works for me, you know? Um, So, yeah, it was it was interesting time. But.
0: But here you are. Here I am. (laughs) Do you feel like depression is still a part of your kind of like life or do you feel like you're pretty well recovered from that?
1: I do. Um, To be honest, there's days where I don't know if it'll ever go away. Um, but I know that I found more coping mechanisms and also ways to grow through some of those feelings. And I can, um, you know, it's funny, I had my podcast yesterday on mental health and at the beginning of it, you know, um, I had mentioned like, man, well, everybody can recognize one or two signs. And as soon as I said that, I said, well, at one point I didn't recognize any signs or I, I, I knew something was happening, but I didn't know what it was. And so I quickly like took that statement back. Um, I was going through things and I just didn't know what I was going through. Um, now I know what I've been through and so I can recognize it a little bit better. So I still struggle with it very deeply. Um, but I, I in my support network and I trust in my ability to reach out to people when I need help now. Um, and I trust myself to be alone. You know, um, that's kind of where I had to grow at too. It was like, okay, when you can't get a hold of somebody, what do you do? You know? So yeah, I still struggle with it, but, uh, but just learning how to struggle with it better.
0: Yeah. I love that learning how to struggle with it better. Cause like the struggle for most people is going to pop back up at some point. So like Mm
1: -hmm.
0: not having the expectation, this will never happen again, not Mm -hmm. setting ourselves up for failure, but just like having that toolkit.
1: Yeah. You know, it was interesting when mine, mine came back actually pretty recently, um, it was when things started going really well for me. And, and I was not used to it. You know, I got married, I was doing really well financially. I got a new house. Like all these good things were happening to me. And I almost felt like my body was telling me that something was supposed to be wrong. And I really just kind of slipped into this hole of like couldn't be creative. Um, was having a hard time getting out of bed. I wanted to sleep all day, wasn't reaching out to people. Um, and every people were asking me, like, yo, what's wrong, man? And I was like, Nothing <laughs> like everything is so good right now. I couldn't even find something to complain about, but I wasn't feeling myself, you know. Um, and it took me a couple of weeks to work through that. Uh, so it's still very, very relevant in my life, you know.
0: Totally. Yeah. There's a such thing as like an adjustment disorder, which basi- basically just means like when life is changing, when we're in a transition, we can have these kind of like. Acute symptoms of depression or anxiety that like kind mm. of pop up, but they don't like actually meet like what is considered depression. It just means like mm. transition is
1: hard. Mm. I
0: don't. I Absolutely. didn't know that you got married. When did you get married?
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, surprise! I ran off, man. We got eloped uh, September twenty third. So I'm I'm just a, almost two months fresh.
0: Oh my gosh! I'm so excited for you. That's beautiful. You, you and know, I were funny. going through like a heartbreak at the same time.
1: We were, and we were for sure. It, as soon as I said my wife, I was like, "I wonder if she knows I got married." But I thought I we were not. friends on Facebook, so I was like, "I figured maybe you've seen."
0: Oh, I don't fuck with the
1: Facebook. I don't either. I I like only share because my business page is connected to it, and then I'm out.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't want to know which one of my family members is voting for who and what. Oh. Like, I, so I don't even have an account anymore. But um, good for congratulations. you! Congratulations, that's so Thank exciting. You.
1: Yeah. thank you yeah it was all it was all brand new really fast we ran away we were in la i was in la working for a work trip and my wife you know we had talked about getting married and all these life things and it felt so right and she was just like man let's do it away from all the stress like we're here it's beautiful this is like our this is our jam right here and uh at first i thought she was kidding and i was like oh man you're cute you know she started sending me links to like you know L.A. County Courthouse. And I was like, oh, you're for real. (laughs) So, yeah, we got it done. And then we came back here and, um, you know, I was scared to tell my mom because I'm the baby in the family. And both of my sisters have been married and in long term relationships for 12 plus years. And I was thinking my mom is going to kill me. She wanted to be at my wedding and she was like so happy for me. And just jumped up and gave me a hug and never once like made me feel bad for my decision. And then told me that her and my dad actually ran away and got married in LA. What? The first time never got married. We had no clue. I'd never, She had never told me that.
0: Oh my God. That just gave me chills.
1: <laughs> she's like crying. And she's like, me and your dad ran away, got married in LA. They were both in the army. And uh, she was like, we just decided we wanted to do it. Your dad took me to the courthouse. So we got it done. It's crazy. so yeah.
0: cute. As wild. much as I am like still fucked up over my divorce, I love a good love story. So uh, I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Um,
1: Thank you.
0: Yeah. Very exciting. And maybe I'll have to figure out how to like, see some, some photos or something. Cause yeah, I don't think that's on Instagram. So I didn't
1: know, but just on my personal page, you can follow my personal page.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. You were talking about like the tools, right. And like kind of Mm -hmm. learning how to support yourself better. One of the things that like, I super love about you and like your work is I really believe in a community focused, like model of just Mm -hmm. like living and community centered care and all of these things. And we like, we talk a good game, but I don't see a lot of people really living that community mindset that I feel like I'm watching you live and promote and cultivate and like really changing communities with, how did that, how did that start for you? Was it starting with the gang task force that you worked with or like, where did that come from? Because it's a lot of work Uh, to rally people.
1: uh, You know what it is. Um, Man, gosh, it's so funny you asked me that because my thought on that changed so drastically over the years of working with youth. Um, when my dad passed away, I had only known him for two years in high school. He moved here my sophomore year, my parents got remarried, passed away my senior year. Um, my high school coach at the time was like my father. He taught me how to do everything. Um, You know, everything in terms of discipline that I learned through basketball was from him, learning how to be a responsible adult. Um, When I moved back from college, he was here, gave me my first job back. Um, Anyway, I had this mindset of one person can change the world because one person changed my world. So when I started working for the county, I thought I wanted to be Superman. I thought, here I am, man. I can use my experience grew up fatherless. I can relate to a lot of these kids, grew up in the same neighborhood as these kids. And I thought I could do it alone because I had been through that experience. And I'm looking at our county and no offense, but it's a whole lot of middle-aged white um, that our kids couldn't relate to. And so here I am thinking like, man, I got this. And I remember uh, his name was Josh. I forget his last name. Josh, I worked with at the Safe Communities Task Force. One of his rules was when we're working with the youth, one of the first things we did was we made them kind of like a, kind of like an identity card, like a license, but it was for support. So we sat down with them every week and we talked about who they trusted and if their list had changed, but they always had this little card in their wallet that had five people that they could call before they made a decision that could change your life. Um, and it, gosh, I'm getting the chills not telling you, but it just, it reminded me that we're not the only ones and it reminded me that it's bigger than just us um, in so many different ways. And so it kind of navigated me from feeling like, man, I can do this myself to we're so much stronger together. You know, if somebody can't get a hold of me, but they have second, third, or if I'm number three, if they can't get a hold of somebody else, but I'm third on their list and they can get a hold of me, um, then how perfect is that, you know? And so I really just adopted that mindset for everything. Like to me, doing things together. And already having this like idea of being a good teammate from playing college sports and whatever, like doing things together felt better. And selfishly, it was easier, you know, Um, and we could make such a bigger impact. And here in our county, I feel like we do have so many resources that other counties don't, but I feel like everyone works solo. So all these great organizations, all going different directions, nobody really willing to work together because of, you know, whatever funding, whatever the cause is. Um, but nobody was willing to work together when I worked for the county. And so that was one of my big things was like, yo, we're going to figure out how to do this side by side. And, you um, know, I really just moved that over to what you see from better mind, better body. Like it's just a lifestyle now of like, yo, we're going to do this together. We're stronger when we're, we're unified. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I really do like, it's so powerful, For me to witness, because I think I'm unique in that I'm 10 years into my career, but I'm. Oh, my God, 12 years into my career, but I'm 29. (laughs) I started working. Wow. um, Yeah, I started working full time swing shift my senior year as a caregiver. Totally inappropriate. But like, I remember being kind of like green in the field and like feeling like, I could just do so much, right? And like if we adopt that mindset and run with it long term, it just takes us to burnout so quick. Uh-huh. And so, uh-huh. like once we hit burnout, then we're too tired to start trying to build community or focus on like wrapping people in, right? Like a wraparound approach. And I I remember watching like, when I first kind of followed you on Instagram, I don't know, however long ago, like just some of the simple things that you were doing that were so motivating to me, like giving water out during the heat wave and like, um, you know, like resources and tools for our like houseless folks during the winter. And just those kinds of things that like, all you do is put the word out and then people come to you, right? And then you disperse. And I'm not saying all you do as in you don't do a lot because I know you're doing a lot. But like the power really is just in saying to people, hey, what resources do you have that you have an abundance of that we can Mm -hmm. redirect to people who don't? Like when we think about it from that model, it's not that hard.
1: Mm. And how good does it feel to other people that they can be involved in something that maybe they couldn't coordinate it, but they can give to, you know, they can they can provide the resource, like you said. So yeah, it's it it is so, so much about just getting it started. You know, um, I'm I'm a terrible organizer. I actually, and I'm I'm even worse at giving direction to people. So when I when I host an event, or you know, for example, we did like this big barbecue down at Esther Shore Park um for people struggling with houselessness and it was like this incredible thing and everybody showed up like okay cool what can I do and I was like uh I don't know just be here smile shake shake some hands like whatever you can do you know um but I don't know I'm just I'm also just kind of willing to take the shot you know I don't I don't really have a fear of failure it, to me it's just like doing something is better than doing nothing you know so
0: yeah I love that I um I need to adopt that mindset because I totally have a fear of fear of fucking it up. Right. But like the Mm. thing is, is it's already all fucked up in so many ways. (laughs) So like that is holding me back. I've been thinking a lot about, you know, like I built my van. I lived in it for a year. I'm not living in it now, but I have a fucking sprinter van. Mm. That's so much space to be able to like distribute supplies to people, places and try to collect. And I'm like, how do Mm. I, how do I use this tool somehow to like help? I've been trying to really
1: think about that. So Mm.
0: let me know if you need something.
1: (laughs) I got you. I got you. That's incredible. Yeah. I've been watching you a little bit on the van life. Yeah. That's crazy. I had a couple of friends kind of all at the same time going through the building process and being very transparent, like you about like, yo, it's not just glamour. There's a lot of work that goes into this, there's some struggles, um mm-hmm. so it's been crazy watching and, and being able to kind of feel like I'm in the back seat with you guys,
0: <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's fun, but oh, it's unique. There's some things yeah. that I would have never thought I would have done five years ago that I have now done, mm. but I'm proud of it, so there yeah. you go. So tell us about your brand. I have quite a, I feel like I have quite a few things from your brand. I was just wearing my unapologetic queer shirt the other day and someone was like, where did you get that? And I'm like, oh, let me tell you, I'll tell you. So tell us about your brand. Tell us about like any events y'all are doing or um, like, how are you contributing to this men's mental health conversation?
1: hmm yeah, you know what? Shoot, you could probably explain the brand better than I could. I, uh, BMBB has changed so much over the past couple of years. Um, you know, what started off is just kind of like, a, like if you go back and look at 2016 Instagram, it's a bunch of guys working out in the gym every day, you know, trying to grow that way. And then it went through this crazy phase of just community work, really no clothing. Um, I don't even know where the clothing came from. Somehow I got stuck making clothes now. Uh, but it's incredible because I love, I think it's a great way to put out a positive message. So, you And know, you're good at it. And I and I love it. It's like that weird little yeah. thing you never knew you liked doing. You know, as a kid, I never took an art class or like graphic design or anything like that. So it's been this cool learning curve, but anyway. Um, so yeah, I just, I I discovered that it doesn't matter what our job title is or who we are, we can make an impact. Um, and that was kind of something that I was struggling with my identity too, as I got older, you know, I went from like, feeling like I had no purpose being in sales for years and years, and then jumping into community work and really struggling financially, not being able to make a living, but having this huge purpose that I got from doing it. Um, and really just moving that into both, like I can make a living, making, uh, apparel, you know, so I do that so I can make a living. But I can also make a huge impact making apparel. So it's kind of a win-win. And it's just something I love. So I've used my brand to kind of just have the hard conversations that nobody wants to have. You know, um, I love sharing things that I feel like, man, somebody's going to delete me today. (laughs) Somebody's going to delete me today. Because I trust in my heart doing the right thing. And so I'm just like, you know what, man, we're going to go for this. And uh, I'm going to use my platform for what feels positive and what feels like love. Um, and I'm going to be the person that makes something for somebody that maybe they couldn't find elsewhere. Um, you know, and and it's been really cool. For example, like right now, I'm partnering up with Cycle Bar. Um, on the 19th, we're going to do a mustache ride. I'm struggling in that department, but we're doing a Movember mustache ride. Movember is an organization that... Um, um builds funds for uh for men's mental health, um, testicular cancer, etc. And Samuel, my good friend over at Psychobar, um, has a huge passion for mental health as well and asked me to be a part of it. So I'm making apparel for them for this mustache ride, and I'm gonna help uh, by donating funds from the profits to that Movember goal, which is a thousand dollars. Um, and then on that Saturday the 19th, we're gonna do a community ride. It's free for the community. Folks can come. I'll have apparel set up there that they can purchase as well. Um, and it's just all about shredding awareness. Um, and then on top of that, you know, we do a I'm week 30 right now for my own podcast. Um, I wow. do mine on Twitter. So I was going to say I looked
0: at your Twitter. I don't have a Twitter. So what happens is I go on there and then you can only scroll for so long before they tell you you oh. have to sign up.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, so we don't, we don't record our space. So you wouldn't really be able to hear anything anyway, Um, but I'll send you a link. We have a mental health podcast. It's really just me and a a good friend of mine who is really big in the basketball community coming together and wanted to open up the conversation for people. Um, There's a lot of stuff on Twitter that I don't understand. This web three cryptocurrency, all kinds of NFT world. Like I'm not, I'm not a part of any of that. But the people that come to this space are, and for them it's this huge release from that world where they can just come share their mental health issues and uh just kind of and that's that a part community. of why
0: I'm not on Twitter, because I'm like, yeah. I don't know what is going on over there. It seems like yeah. shit is crazy over there.
1: Yeah, it's it's wild. You know, I've always been a stickler about like who I follow because I I firmly believe that like what you see affects how you feel. And so it's interesting. Twitter is the only space where like I try to really engage with everybody on Instagram. I kind of just share that I'm out. Um, Twitter is much more about engagement. So I'm following all these people. I don't know anything about what they're talking about. NFTs and cryptocurrency and chicken and eggs. And I'm like, I have no clue what you're talking about. But if you need to talk, I got you. You know, so it's funny, but yeah, that's where it's at right now. It is a cool way to reach a ton of people. You know, we've had people in the space from Spain. Uh, We have people that frequent from New Zealand. Um, Australia, with people from all over the East Coast and Midwest, and we're all in there at the same time. It'll be 9 a.m. my time, and it's 11 p.m. where they're at, and they're all taking time to come join us in this space, so I just love it. It's really dope.
0: Yeah, I love that. This um, this podcast actually uh, prompted Lori and I, who's my co-host, to it and it I really like like to say it's important to say that this was all Lori's idea, but she looped me up in it, and we have this peer support group that we facilitate once a month. Um and goddamn, if we don't have people, it's like 2 a.m. in Germany and they're mm-hmm. logging into Zoom with us. And I'm just like, I don't know how you found us, but that is so cool. I hope you get some right. sleep afterwards, but just like that is what the power of community does, right? Mm -hmm. Is that we are willing to get up in the middle of the night to go be around people who support us non-judgmentally and just make space for us.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love you.
0: One last question I have for you. I, being a white woman, obviously I know my lived experience, but like part of what I love seeing from you is like men talking about mental health right but also black men talking about mental health so what like what how powerful is that within that community because obviously it's a community i'm not integrated in is that the norm is that not the norm like fill me in there
1: um definitely not the norm um you know it's interesting i have a seat at both tables because i'm biracial so it's Growing up, you know, I always kind of thought it was a, a bad thing to be real, like being so light skinned and all of my family is darker skin tone and, um, you know, look much more black than I do. Um, it was a struggle for me because I was trying to find my identity through most of my life, probably up until I was like 24, 25. Um, and then once I figured out that really I can sit at both sides of the table, I can sit with, you know, community of my white friends and people. And feel comfortable and have a voice, and I can also sit with my black friends and family and have a voice there as well. Um, so I see a lot of a lot of both. A lot of my friends are, um, you know, African American, and um, all of us kind of come from the same background. We don't have father figures. Um, mental health was never talked about in our world, um, and ironically, now all of my friends are really good fathers really pushed the idea of like expressing your feelings and maybe it's just a generational thing i'm not sure um but the the network of guys that i'm around now really push expressing who you are and expressing your feelings and making mental health um of importance and so yeah i had a very different experience so you know i didn't have my dad around but i also didn't have anybody telling me i couldn't talk about my feelings or making me feel like i didn't my mom is very loving She's like, you know, I got mama's boy tatted on my leg. He always made me feel like I could be and do whatever I wanted to do. So I didn't have that, like, you know, go outside, man. You got to be tough. You can't you can't talk about your feelings. So I didn't have that experience like a lot of my friends did. Um, I just didn't know that I should be talking about my feelings. So it was very different. You know, when my dad was sick for two years, I used basketball to cover up what I was going through. So I thought I was expressing myself through a sport, through doing something and being active. But really, I was just kind of hiding behind the shell, you know. Um, and I, and I, you know, I think that that's kind of what pushed me to jump into the community stuff, was I, I did feel like my experience was very different, but also in a way very similar to a lot of kids that I was working with, um, where we came from, you know, uh, not having that father figure, but also having somebody that did support me, um, who is also like middle-aged white male but he understood me and he, he allowed me to be, be myself and express myself. And, um, so, yeah, I just, I understand the power of one person and how it can have an impact on our mental health, but I also understand the power of community. Um, and so it's been a very different experience, but I'm grateful for it. I, I truly think that, you know, I was put here to, to kind of be this, this face of whatever I am, you know, um, so, yes, yeah, so I don't know if that answered your question, but
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it did. Well, it's a fabulous space that you have of a fabulous brand. And I am super stoked to um, have people hear this episode. But furthermore, like check out everything that you're doing. What's your Instagram? Tell us that stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. The Instagram and the Twitter is BMBB. stands for Better Mind, a Better Body. Um, I always get these funky names, people like BBB, BBB, B. it's BMBB Lifestyle, Better Mind, Better Body, follow there, that's where you can see all the merch that we're dropping, also keep up with uh, community events on the calendar on my page, bmbblifestyle.net.
0: Awesome, and you're wearing a Black Mental Health Matters crew neck, so yes. people are going to need to snag that, because how cute. Yeah.
1: This is one of my faves. This was kind of like the prototype. This was the first one I made. And I put on the back side. it has the mental health crisis uh, line on it, but it's way down on the butt. So I fixed it. I put it on the back side now.
0: <laughs> Cute, I like it. And like something like that is adding to the conversation by someone saying, hey, what's that <laughs> phone number on the back All of your the time.
1: shirt? All the time. And most people know, people that have seen the phone number know the phone number. So most people know and they'll ask me, but they're just kind of in awe that I have it on my back. So it's great, honestly, I love making conversation starters. I think it opens up the door for conversation. Even if they don't say something to me, I think a lot of people go back and be like, yo man, I saw this guy wearing this one sweater or I get people all the time to reach out to me. and like, man, I saw one of your sweaters today. The mental health one is usually this one. Um, so this is one of my favorite pieces. I rock this all the time.
0: Cute. I'm going to have to snag one. I'm well, going to have so- to shoot you one. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. And I'm sure. um, so glad to see your face and congratulate you on your secret runaway wedding and uh, yeah, everything you. that you are doing. I am just, I love to watch it and um, I'm going to try to get more
1: involved. I appreciate it. We'll we'll definitely connect. I'm happy to hear about what you're doing. I'm going to look into it a little bit more as well. And I'm glad we could finally make this happen. It's been a couple of years in the waiting.
0: I know it has been. Okay.
1: All right. Until next time.
0: Hi, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey. And we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.